Well, this morning we're uh, completing our Advent journey. We've lit the fourth candle. It's called the reception candle because it completes the journey in that when you start off with the prophecy of 700 years that Jesus is coming, and then you move into preparation, how do you get ready for the coming of a Savior? And then the announcement that Jesus is coming, it's time for the Lord to come. And then the final candle we light is the reception candle, which is, uh, it really focuses on the blessing, on receiving the blessing of Christ into the world by the shepherds, as we'll see, but also calls us as individual believers and as a church to receive Christ into our lives, to receive the blessing of the Christ child, uh, or in many cases in this room, to re-receive Him, right? Because it just refreshes that reality that we need to come to a place of personally receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're really focusing on receiving the blessing of Jesus, of the Christ child, the newborn, the newborn baby today. I think one of the most amazing moments in the life of any father or mother is at that moment when someone actually, when they actually receive their newborn infant, when they actually receive the newborn baby, typically handed to them by someone else. I mean, if you think about the way we are in our culture now, there are very few parents who are the first ones to touch their baby. But that they go through the whole prophecy thing. Let's just walk through that pregnancy and delivery thing like they go through the prophecy thing. Someday you're going to have a baby. Ta-da! Now you're going to have a baby. Preparing. Getting ready to have the baby. Yeah? And then the announcement. Honey, it's time! It's time! And then not long after that, receiving, receiving the baby into your arms. And so I, I want you to think about that Parents, moms, dads, it's an unforgettable moment, isn't it? When somebody says, here's your son, here's your daughter. There are a few of us who did find ourselves in the position of actually receiving the child directly. Anybody besides me in the room? Yeah, right. (laughs) So it was a hot night in July. Sometimes I wonder if part of the reason that Karen and I have such a special bond with our daughter Betsy is because of circumstances that required us to deliver her ourselves. I wonder, since we were the first ones to touch her, because, you know, many of you know we have, we have uh, five grown children, four boys, one girl, and she's our favorite. The boys know this. The boys know they don't have a chance of this ever changing. They seem good with it by now. They've been in counseling. They're all right. They're going to be okay. All right. So Betsy is, she's just pure as the driven snow, perfect in every way. Has uh, never created any stress in my life. And uh, is, she's just my heart's delight. And I wonder if it's partly because of the way that she came into the world and the way we received her. Do you all know that story? Would you like to hear it? Sure, why not? You're here, right? <laughs> so it was a hot night in July in 1983. I had just returned home from spending several days at a pastor's conference that I was required to attend 
in the denomination that I was in. I was glad to be home, but tired from being at the conference. So I went to bed. Sometime later, Karen came to bed. And I remember waking up in the night, and it was like 1 or 2 in the morning, I think. And I looked over, and there's Karen, and she's sitting there in the rocking chair that was in our, in our bedroom. And she's just rocking, and something didn't seem right. And I said, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, but no, I think I might be having con- contractions. Now, keep in mind, this is three months early. This is 13 weeks before uh, Betsy is due to be delivered. And uh, I said, well, you think we should call the doctor or something? And Karen, if you know her, she's like pioneer stock woman. And, and she said, yeah. And I thought, whoa, I better wake up here. She just said, yeah. And so I said, well, here's the phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, what am I going to say? I don't know. I can tell you. you know. And so she calls the doctor, and the doctor says, well, it sounds like you should come in to the ER and we should check you out, probably just send you home. And so this gets in motion. She goes into the bathroom for a minute, and I start looking for my jeans to pull on and stuff like that. And, and then she comes out pretty quickly. And she looked at me. She stepped into our bedroom and said, I'm having this baby. I said, what? She said, I'm having this baby right now. Ay, ay, ay. And so she lays down in the bed. And I scramble for the phone myself. And God had done so many things, you know, to just set things up. This was prior to being able to call 911. You had to know the number of the ambulance or something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness? <laughs> All right. And so one of the things that had happened is like two weeks before this, we got a sticker in the mail for that number that said, put this on your phone. And we did. <laughs> that was good because there was no time to look anything up, Right. And so I got to call the ambulance while I'm trying to figure out how to be of some help. And so I picked it up. <laughs> and I started calling. Hello. Tick, 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 tick. And they always use big numbers in these ambulance, nines and sevens and stuff. And, and so I'm calling. And, and I, I put the phone up here on my shoulder like this as I think my hands are going to need to be free for something. I don't really know what right now. but And so as things are advancing in front of me, I say to this person who says, can I help you? I said, yes, my wife is having a baby. My wife is having a baby. Here's what she says. Sir, is your wife having a baby or is she, <laughs> no. or is she just in labor? I said, the head is in my hands! The head is in my hands! I said, send an ambulance! Send an ambulance! So, okay, so she puts things in motion. I drop the phone, and here comes Betsy. We found out shortly after that she was two pounds, four ounces. That's small. I don't care who you are. That's small. Her head was about the size of a tennis ball, just fit in my hand there, you know. And there she was. And uh, she wasn't breathing. I know. Karen, who is so calm and happens to be a nurse also, just took her. Umbilical cord still connected. Took her, turned her over, cleared out her passageway, and puffed. Just puffed a bit of air into her mouth. And she immediately began breathing, 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 breathing. So quite a bond is created when you not only deliver, but and Karen would never say it this way, but 
to save her life also, right? So there, here's the scenery. Here we are. Now we have this tiny little child who's breathing and shouldn't be out yet. You're not done, kid. <laughs> the timer didn't go off or anything here. Before long, ambulance people are showing up in our little community in Pennsylvania. They're crowding into our bedroom, and things are happening, and they're doing this and that, and they're staying stand over here. So and so, oh, okay, I'll just stand here. Let me. <laughs> I had such an adrenaline rush. It was like three days I was like this, you know. <laughs> As before, I knew much about the Holy Ghost, too, so it was just weird to me, you know. <laughs> I'm standing there. And they're taking Karen off on a stretcher, and they're taking Betsy off. It's a little wrapped thing, and they're going down these stairs, this old house. We had to turn, and they grab me and say, come along, sir, okay. And I'm going along, I'm going downstairs. Go out. And they open the front of the ambulance door, right? And they say, why don't you sit up in here, sir, okay. So I climb up in there, and I sit up there. And then off we go. That's not as cool as you think, by the way, just so you know. And so we come to an intersection, and a guy driver says to me, he says, well, maybe I'll block the intersection. I said, block it for who? And it's the middle of the night in New Brighton, Pennsylvania. Nobody is even awake. I said, block it for who? Well, for your wife and baby. And he stops, and an ambulance goes whizzing by us. Woo, woo, woo! I look in the back, and there's nobody there. They sent two ambulances. One for them and one for me. We, we were in reflection on that whole time. We think maybe it's because I said everything twice. My wife is having a baby. My wife is having a baby. Send an ambulance. Send an ambulance. <laughs> Two ambulances. It's a pretty crazy time. Pretty crazy time. Got to the hospital and they put little Betsy in a helicopter. Whew, flew her off to Pittsburgh an hour or so away. And she was one of those kids, you know, that by the grace of God never needed anything. Two pounds, four ounces. She just needed, she would have been and put a shoebox by the stove. She'd have been fine, you know. <laughs> she never needed any heroic medical effort or anything. She just grew and grew and grew and grew. And she was in the first service. They live in Cincinnati with Matt and her husband and little Desmond now. But it's a blessing to be able to receive her that way, you know, in retrospect. To be the ones, to be the first ones to touch her, to receive her into our lives. Pretty amazing thing that happens. It changes everything. It changes everything when that happens. It's the same way with Jesus. That's what this is about. This Sunday is about receiving Jesus. I want to hand Jesus to you. That's my heart. It's just to give you Jesus. And for you to receive him. That's what this whole fourth Sunday of Advent is about. It's about receiving Jesus. And the powerful, powerful impact that can have on our lives. The change that can occur when we authentically, wholeheartedly, and humbly receive Jesus into our lives. And as we do that, we're, we're going to be looking in the passage that supports it from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And it's a familiar passage to many of us. It's It's the passage that tells us about the shepherds and how they were the ones God chose to first announce the arrival of Jesus to and how they received that news from the angels and the impact that it had on their lives. 
So I'm going to start in uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told of them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Lord, we invite you in the power of your Holy Spirit to come and uh, explain this part of the Bible to us. Lord, none of us have come here of our own device. We've come uh, not relying on ourselves or on the opinions of a man, but we want to hear you speak to us in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Speak individually to each heart in this Christmas season, Lord, in this passage. We take a few minutes to set ourselves before it. And I pray that you'll just receive maximum glory from this. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have these shepherds who openly, fully, freely received this message that Jesus was here. And it brings us to the place of of saying, how about us? Are we going to be also receptive, freely, completely, authentically receiving the message of Jesus? And there's so much going on in this passage, so many things we could talk about. What I'd like for us to center our attention on this year is just to look at the profound changes or the impact that this message had on the shepherds themselves. Because I think you'll find yourself in that mix and something very personal and and, uh, practical for you also. I want to look at the different ways that they were impacted by this. First of all, notice that in this passage that it pumped sudden excitement into their otherwise predictable lives. Very suddenly, their life was changed because Jesus, the announcement of Jesus... If you start in verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The life of a shepherd was not a very exciting one. There was some rhythm, you know, to the thing when the lambs were born and the shearing and stuff like that, but mostly it was just a life of routine, routine, routine. It says they were living in the fields. So there was a kind of almost a nomadic style to their lives out there uh, tending the sheep, tending the sheep. And it was not a very interesting one. It was pretty much the same thing every day, same thing every night. They'd bring their flocks together, and they would uh, coordinate the the shepherding of the flocks at night so the other guys could get some sleep, and one would watch out for predators and thieves and stuff. And uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to them in the midst of this, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, their, their life suddenly changed. They were terrified. They went from sheer boredom to extreme terror. In one second, right? Now, I don't know about you, but for my money, I'd rather be afraid than bored. You know? I would rather be terrified than bored. There's nothing worse than being bored with life, is there? 
I mean, that, that's just a recipe for bad things to happen, is when we become bored with life. I would rather something came in and got my attention in terror than to remain in boredom. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Whew, again, that's what you want to hear from an angel when they talk, right? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. So their life was changed in an instant. From routine to very, very exciting. And uh, if you keep reading, and you see verse 20, which we'll get to a little bit later, that the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard. Their life went from boredom to terror to profound joy in one night. That's what Jesus does. Jesus Christ is real. He's living. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He wants to invade our lives and bring a power to our lives that we didn't have before. And one of the things I love about this uh, is how it once again underscores the fact that God often chooses the unlikely and the unsuspecting to, to do his work. Nobody would have expected the shepherds to be the one to be chosen. I mean, in this cultural time, the shepherds were the bottom of the pile. They were the bottom of the workforce. Nobody hung out with them. They were those crazy guys who sat around with the shepherds or sheep. They smelled like sheep. They, they were, and, and so for God to choose the shepherds to be the ones to tell that Jesus Christ had been born was a very unlikely choice. And the shepherds never would have suspected that they would have been even in the running for such a choice. And it just underscores, doesn't it, that God often uses the unlikely and the unsuspecting to do his stuff. And that applies to you. That applies. God has a plan for your life. God has something to accomplish through you. And the enemy constantly wants to tell you, well, that wouldn't work for you because. And what he does next is he says, compare yourself to someone else who's doing that. You don't have the gear that they have. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, do not compare yourselves one to another. Do not do that. The only comparison that you should ever make is your life now to before you knew Christ. And when you see that difference, when you see that power, you know that you will be up for whatever it is that God calls you to. When you begin comparing yourself to others, you automatically limit your kingdom potential. Because you use a person as a standard rather than the word of God, which says you can do all things through Christ, and rather the power of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, I want you to notice that in this, these guys' case, it, first of all, pumps some excitement into their otherwise very routine lives. Second, notice with me that it created in them something that they absolutely had to do. If you look in verses 15 and 16, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They had to do this. There was barely any discussion about it. God had gotten on the inside of them, and they had to do this. There was no real decision to make. But I want you to notice something, that in doing that, they left their flocks. They left their, that was a big deal. You don't leave your flock, especially at night, when the thieves came, when the predators came. But they were so engaged by God that they were compelled They now had something that they had to do. This is a mark that you have encountered Christ. When you've encountered the Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit, you will suddenly find that there's stuff you just have to do. 
you've got to figure out a way to do this, that you're compelled, that there's a stirring inside of you. And I want you to pay attention to that stirring. What is it that really excites you when you think about how the Lord might use you? Pay attention to that stirring because I believe that God wants to use you. And, uh, and you may have to leave what you're doing in order to do it. These guys left their flock. They left their flock because it was something they had to do. And we've seen this repeated in other parts of the Bible. Four of the disciples immediately left their fishing nets to follow Jesus. One of, their, one of the twelve disciples left his very lucrative tax collecting business to go and follow Jesus. Saul, on the road to Damascus, immediately abandoned his mission because of his encounter with God. And so I just think it's worth noting that when you encounter God, don't be surprised if, you, if the price tags start changing and if you just start getting worked up about, I've got to do this. I have got to do this. Long term and also short term. Uh, a view for your life, something that you believe God wants you to do, and also short term. Moment by moment. You you ever feel compelled? I just have to call this certain person. I just have to go do this. I just have to talk to that person. That's the same thing. Pay attention to that compelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Third, I want you to notice that it gave them something new and amazing to talk about. Verses 17 and uh, 18. Hey, could I trouble somebody to get me a water? Uh, Thank you very much, Harry. Um, I think there's one on my desk in there, Harry. Just go to my office. Would you grab that? Thanks. I think there's one I just meant to bring in. Thanks. Uh, What was I saying? If you don't know, we're done. Okay, thank you. Gave him something new and amazing to talk about. (laughs) So this happened. Now look at verse 17. When they had seen him, meaning Jesus, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. This is fascinating to me. Because of who the shepherds were in their culture, nobody paid any attention to anything they said. And God chose them, and not only chose them to speak, but anointed them in such a way that people were amazed. Not curious, amazed at what it is that they said. The world had been waiting, thank you, half my kingdom. I don't have anything, but you can have half of it. Thank you. Put me on a medicine, my doctor said, it'll give you dry mouth. Oh my gosh, it's like sandpaper in here. Didn't need that, did you? Anybody? Not if you're on medicine, I don't want to drink it, nope. All right, good. world had been waiting for this news. They had something powerful and exciting to talk about. You know, not everybody received Christ. These guys received Christ. They received the message of Christ, and of course it was before the cross and stuff, so we can't draw too many conclusions, but they were open to the message of the gospel. Not everybody was. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that Jesus came to his own, meaning the Israelites. But it says, but his own received him not. They didn't receive him. Next verse, but to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God. That's it right there. So this is the power of receiving the blessing of Christ. You'll have something new and amazing to talk about. Some of you are struggling with boredom in your life. 
I know this. You're struggling with boredom. You're pretty sure that tomorrow is going to be the same as yesterday. And you need something new and amazing to talk about. Press into Christ, I dare you. I dare you to go away for a couple days with Jesus. Get close to Christ. Get in the flow of what the, the Holy Spirit's doing in His kingdom. See if you have something new and amazing to talk about. Some of you live in maybe on yesterday's stories, on how it used to be. Press in. Lead the way. Get in the place where God will break out His kingdom through you again. And uh, no matter how unlikely that may seem for you, press in. Ask Him to do it. And when you do that, you'll have some new and amazing things to talk about. Number four, notice that it catapulted these shepherds into authentic worship. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. These shepherds were not likely schooled in the things of temple worship. They were shepherds. But they didn't need a class, did they? They didn't need to anybody take them through the scriptures and show them why it's a good thing to raise your hands and throw your head back and praise the Lord. They didn't need that. Because they'd received Christ. Because Jesus had come. They'd received Christ. And there was an automatic, authentic, powerful, responsive worship. They didn't need a worship leader in a band to inspire them and say, follow me. They saw Christ. And that's all we're trying to do here. We're just trying to show you Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep it simple enough so that everybody can see Christ. We're trying to keep it uh, uh, true so that you just see Christ. Because when you see Christ, you'll worship Him. You can't help it. Do you long for Christ? Uh, do you long for Him? Do you want Him? Are you pressing in? Okay. Well, those are the four things I want to tell you. Now, as we receive or re-receive Jesus Christ into our lives today, you know, just keep in mind that you're receiving this promised blessing. It's a blessing to know Christ. If you've come to the place of knowing Christ as your Savior, you know that. Some of you need to revisit that reception of Christ. Some of you have a memory of an exciting time in your walk with God when you first received Him or when you first received a blessing from Him. And you need to revisit that and re refresh that, if you will. But um, when we receive Christ, I think everybody knows that we receive Jesus both as Savior and as what? Lord. 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 We, it's pretty familiar language. That receiving Christ into our lives means we receive Him as Savior, but that we also receive Him as Lord. And I don't know about you, but I kind of notice the way that rolls out in the church today. Sometimes we, we feel like the blessing part of it is receiving Jesus as Savior and kind of the the duty part or the cumbersome part is following him as Lord. Sometimes you come across as, you know, Savior is the good part, and Lord, you know, that's the hard part. Like, you know, Savior, that's the headlines, yeah? And Lord is the fine print. We'll fill you in on a little bit later. That Savior, you know, is the part that Jesus paid for us on the cross, and Lord is the part we got to do to kind of stay in the game, Right? I mean, doesn't it come across that way sometimes? That Savior is really what you want. Well, I want to tell you, knowing Jesus Christ as Lord is every bit as big a part of the blessing as knowing Him as Savior. To have Jesus Christ in control of your life, commanding the affairs of your life, telling you what you're doing, where you're going, and why you're doing it, is an amazing reality. And is, a, and is every bit a bigger part of the blessing of knowing Christ 
as to knowing Him as Savior. And what happens when we, when we come to, to know and embrace Christ in this way, He will, I promise you, pump excitement into your otherwise predictable life. He will create something in you that you absolutely have to do. Would you visit that stirring this morning? Would you get on your face before God this morning and revisit that stirring that God has placed in you? It'll give you something amazing to talk about again, fresh and amazing. If you're running on old stories, it's your fault. If you're running on yesterday's memories, it's your fault. The kingdom of God is as real and as available today as it was then. And I need to, I need to, I need to exhort you. I'm not sure what that word means, but it sounds like telling you to do it hard. I need to, I, I need you, I need to find a way to get you to press back into the kingdom. All right? We did not start this church to have church. We started this church to create a place for people who didn't think they'd like church so they could come and God could break out consistently in His kingdom power. That's why we did that. That's why we've done this. And it'll also, as you receive Christ, catapult you into authentic worship. You won't be able to stop singing. You'll be singing in your car. You won't be able to wait to come into the fellowship of believers so that you can be a part of the choir that sings to God here every Sunday morning. So here's where we are. We're at the end of this progression. And I don't know about you, but I, I think this has a lot, a lot of meaning. You know, last week I said uh, rather boldly that religion is the thing that people make up when they get tired of waiting for God. And it's true. And maybe you think that an Advent wreath, because it's been done for so long, is religion. And I want to tell you something. You're right, it can be. But it's what you bring to it. It's what you bring to it. Because every relationship has rhythm to it, doesn't it? Every relationship has rhythm. Karen and I, we celebrated 42 anniversaries, and every one of them that come around is as good as the one before it. Now, if it got to this point, it's like, oh, that's right, our stinking anniversary is this week. I better, I better be an amazing husband, you know. Then something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. And it's not that way. And it's the same thing when you, when you do something like an Advent wreath, just because it's repetitious, just because you do it every year, doesn't mean it has to be empty. It can be a part of the rhythm of an authentic relationship with Jesus. Because each one of these steps, for me, draws me closer to Christ in the Christmas season. When I start again with Isaiah every year, and whether we do this in the church, we don't always do this in the church here, or whether we're just doing it at home, it always just starts me. 700 years before Jesus, and gets me longing for him again. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. And then as I just move through and prepare myself, I start looking for the obstacles that have accumulated over the past year that stand between me and God, and I repent of them. And then when I become excited about the announcement that Jesus Christ has come into the world, and then today have the opportunity just to say, Lord, I receive you into myself. I receive you as my Savior and as my Lord, and a renewal of that receiving. So what I want to do with you this morning is I'd just like to lead you in a time of, of personal reception of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. And it may be a first-time reception, or it may be a re-reception, a refreshing of you receiving Jesus as Savior. But what I want to do is just invite you to surrender your will over to God as we worship Him. Okay, Father, I thank you for these people. Thank you for this church and all that it means here and around the world. I thank you that there are people in other countries depending on us to be faithful in our 
our worship of you and our advancement as a fellowship. I thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season and the opportunity that we have to uh, come together and celebrate in this progressive way through the Advent season your promise to us and the fulfillment of that promise. I thank you for every man and woman and young person in this room right now. I thank you for them, and I know that you drew them here with intention, that there's something in their life that you want to touch, that you want to bless, that you want to just come and be Lord of. And I pray for everybody now, Father. I pray that as we have these just few minutes together to respond to you in worship, that you would draw from our hearts, Lord, just the powerful, humble surrender that we saw in these shepherds, the, the desire, Father, to crowd into your presence, the, the openness to the reception of Jesus and all that that means in our lives. And Father, again, we just pray that this church will be a church that's guided by you and not by us. We pray, Father, that as we sing these songs for ourselves, we'll also sing it as a church and say that we surrender our will, our collective will, to you, Lord God. So I just pray that you'll come now and lead us into this refreshing time of renewal of receiving Jesus Christ into our lives. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together, church, and let's just see if we can worship him.